Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1228 of the Lothar Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast, making Lothar Hawks your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. Today's show will be myself and Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, who was kind enough to join me for a conversation on Monday afternoon about all of what transpired in Game 4 for the Hawks, the entire first four games for the Hawks, really, and then also some adjustments potentially for Game 5, observations, takeaways, analysis, all of that is there with myself and Glenn. Glenn is very smart. We'll talk about all kinds of stuff on that podcast coming up. Before that, though, the injury reports are now out. I record with Glenn a little bit earlier in the day on Monday than usual, so the injury reports, as, or, uh, we, we did not know those at the time of the recording. No huge shocks along the way here, but a couple guys are questionable for the Hawks officially as of Monday uh, for Game 5. Capella is still questionable with the knee injury in which he came back in Game 4, and McDonough after being off the injury report for a while now, is back on the injury report with right knee soreness. I'm not sure what that actually entails. No other details available for the Hawks at this point in time, but he had some dead legs, according to McMillan, in game four. So we'll see if he's able to play through it. I would guess he probably does at this stage, but nothing is assured. Anyone listed as questionable at this stage. And Lou Williams is still out for the Hawks. He's not played in quite some time at this point. On Miami side, Kyle Lowry is officially out for Game 5. He missed, of course, Game 4 in the fourth quarter of Game 3, which we'll actually talk about a little bit later on with myself and Glenn. So that's uh, the only notable uh, change for the Heat. Our friends at Ben Online make the Hawks 7.5-point underdogs in Game 5. That is very similar to the numbers that were uh, in place for both Game 1 and Game 2, where the Hawks lost in Miami. So we'll see if they're able to have more resistance in this, in this spot, but uh, no huge surprise there. The Hawks will be underdogs barring a miracle at tip off. And we'll see if they're able to overcome that and get a win to keep the series alive. Regardless though, we'll have our full show after the game on Tuesday evening into Wednesday, breaking down everything from game five. And if the Hawks win, we'll have more in advance of game six. If the Hawks lose, we'll still be here with offseason content, some player reviews, all that fun stuff is on the way whenever the Hawks season ends, whether it be now or or later. So please subscribe to the podcast. And without further delay, you'll hear the intro and then I'll be back with myself and Glenn Willis. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am joined now by friend of the podcast and friend of me, Glenn Willis of Peaster Hoops is here. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good today, Brad. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, obviously better than the Hawks uh, in the wake of game four. As I said before, we're recording this Monday afternoon. So kind of in the middle portion of the, uh, you know, the Hawks are traveling today down to Miami for the must win game five. I have lots of stuff to ask you on the show, but I want to start here. Uh, with a very open-ended question, uh, what in the world happened to the offense in Game 4? Uh, I know you have more insight than I do, so I'm just going to leave it <laughs> just like that for now, and we'll dive in from there. You know, I'm still not quite sure what I was watching in Game 4. It was such a such a strange experience. Um, to start, I mean, the first quarter I thought was fine. I, I think everyone was feeling pretty good about things at the end of the first quarter. It was like a one- or two-point game. I can't remember exactly which way it went. But with Clint and they were getting shots in the corners, Miami was still prioritizing cutting off things to the rim, and they've been excellent at that the whole series long. Um, but, you know, DeAndre hit a couple of threes. I think Gallo you know, got one and JC got one in there. And it felt like, well, you know, maybe they're going to actually force Miami to kind of come out of that aggressive 
um, tagging and double tagging they were doing on Clint um, and, and such, but they, nothing really ever materialized. They kept doing that and the Hawks couldn't get to the rim. And then eventually I think Miami just started working harder on their closeouts. One, one funny thing is that with the heat missing Lowry, I actually think that benefited them on defense in some ways yesterday, they had mm-hmm. bigger defenders closing out on shooters and in the second half of game three, up until Larry without the injury, the Hawks were really targeting him. Um, and so I, I still am not, I still can't get my head around seeing Trey not be aggressive and not attack. And I put out a tweet at the, after the game, like just saying how weird that was. And, you know, I don't know anything, but it makes me wonder, you know, did that slip he had with um, Vincent, I think was that yeah. pretty rough, you know, or did he come into this game, you know, with kind of the ankle issue being the, it just it being a, a bad day for the ankle as opposed to where maybe, you know. So I don't know what's going on offensively, but you know, I, I want to give Miami credit for how, I mean, they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. There's no doubt about that. And they are absolutely giving the Hawks nothing at the rim, which is kind of the foundation for everything the Hawks want to do. Um, but I'm surprised, you know, the Hawks, are you know an excellent three-point shooting team they have one of the best creators in the league and yesterday was the day i thought like man they just can't do anything with miami's defense right now i wish i had a better answer for you but that's all i got right now i think (laughs) no it's it's true and like you know schematically there's they've tried some stuff you know they trace i think two of trey's buckets in the game were like kind of working off ball and almost in catch and shoots which he hasn't done a ton of and it was kind of effective at times but the squishy schemes that they've been able to run against the Hawks have flummoxed them. That's not a secret by any means. Um, and you said it like the lack of rim pressure. And that's one of the things about this team overall is that they only really have the one guy that can get downhill. And if he can't do it, then they have some, they have some issues for the most part If Trey's not getting into the paint. And really uh, it was alarming to your point, how little he got into the paint and even got even past the first line. He was pretty passive. Like you said, it might be an ankle issue, might be whatever's going on there, but uh, there was some settling there. And um, I said this last night on the show, but I, you know, sometimes Trey earns criticism for taking some bad shots. Some he sometimes he's over aggressive, taking some shots. I would have preferred to see that versus what we saw in game four. Like at least if he's taking too many shots and some bad ones, he can make them. Whereas in game four, he just kind of was out there and kind of floating and didn't do a whole lot to be aggressive. I'm going to ask you about him too in particular, but uh, your point about Lowry is interesting one that I want to just touch on real quickly because obviously Lowry has been a great player for a long time and defensively he's super smart, but he's not the quickest guy in the world at this point. He's pretty slow footed for a guard in particular. And on the one hand, his absence makes Miami play some lineups that aren't going to be great defensively. Like we saw them go in particular to Robinson and hero together when Trey left the floor, which was smart. I thought from Miami, if you're going to do that, that's the time to do it. But like Gabe Vincent is good defensively. So I have some, so more Gabe Vincent more like, you know, burst that way and more, uh, more sort of twitch might be good for them overall. You know, Lowry's still a great help guy and stuff. And like, he's really got, he, he knows what he's doing, which is obviously something that's really kind of underrated sometimes, but I kind of agree with you that like, yeah, on paper, it might not seem like Miami would be better without Lowry because it kind of seems just silly to me. But if you factor in Vincent being good and Oladipo, as much as he was kind of bad on offense in that game, he was playing hard on defense. Like he's athletic and flies around. So if they're replacing a lot of his minutes with guys who are just better athletically, uh, I think it might show up on film the way that you kind of described that. Yeah. And, and I um, had kind of talked with, um, Kevin a little bit about how he he may be the best in the league like when you when you put him on someone in the corner 
and he has to kind of help cover that driving lane that in that near yeah. corner. He's really good at gapping that, right, and kind of zoning that area and stuff. He's he's awesome at that. But the Hawks started really kind of basically trying to post him, which in, which for like the first game and part of the second game was pretty pointless because the officials. Um, he knows right where that line is. Where officials are going to let him, <laughs> as a smaller guy, kind of you know. It's been a talking uh, point in the series. Uh, some of that, yeah, stuff for sure. I mean, yeah, it's not. I, and and I don't like to go straight to like that is dirty. I mean, he knows right where the line is, and but smart veteran players understand that exactly. And he knows as a smaller guy, he's going to get away with more than you know traditional big guy down there defending. But I think they kind of figured that out, and we're going right at him in the second half of game three. And the Hawks really didn't have a matchup. Uh, in the post that they could kind of take advantage of there. Um, and that is kind of their outlet when kind of Trey can't get anything done. And when he's drawn PJ or Bam, more PJ more recently, whereas Bam yeah. game one a lot. But they just didn't really have someone that they felt seemed to feel comfortable kind of kind of going at down there. And, and, I, and I thought that was just put more pressure on Trey and allowed Miami to, if it's possible, to even kind of ratchet up even more of their defensive resources at Trey, right? Yeah, and which, is, I, I thought which that was, says a lot already. They've been doing that a right. lot already. So yeah, yeah. And then the other part is that you know Miami. They, um, I, th- I think it was, um, can't remember which analyst said, but they basically looked like they're in a one-two-two. Um, I mean, two or three. Who one of the analysts said that, and and that and with Trey's up front, that that is exactly what it looks like. And when Trey has draw, let's imagine before the Heat series, kind of draws a big man that he wants to attack. When he can't get past him, a lot of times he will kind of drive down, you know, a step or two below the nail and use that elbow area as a step back. He does that to the left a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, the way that Miami is kind of setting up to contain that area is not available to him at all. So not only is, not, is he not able to kind of drive in the way that he would normally, Miami is also taking away his mid-range, favorite mid-range spots with that technique too. And so, you know, it, it, so people, some Heat fans took issue with the fact that how I kind of tweeted about it after the game. I was like, I'm talking about the Hawks here. I'm not talking about the Heat, good or bad. Um, but the Heat are not giving him driving lanes, and they're not giving him any of the mid-range space that is, you know, are his favorite spots at all. And it's sort of your classic, we're going to make someone else beat us. And game four was kind of the blueprint outcome of what they've been working for in this series, um, you know, for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's – it's. Uh... You know, I think we've done. I know I have. I know you have. Have gone gone, gone out of our way to talk about how good Miami has been defensively, and they, they they do deserve a ton of credit for it. Um, Nate's done that. Even Trey, you know, they've given the kudos to Miami, and obviously we focus on the Hawks. And I'm gonna I'm not gonna frame the whole podcast around Miami's defense, but like they have been remarkably good, which is certainly part of the story. Um, you know, the Hawks have not been great at countering, which we can get into too. But um, Miami's defense has been uh, top notch for the majority of the series, which is certainly a huge factor. Um, I'm going to ask you about train individually, which is, of course, a, kind of a big story after game four. Uh, before we do that, though, it worked from our sponsors on the podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. NBA fans looking for daily fantasy option this year. You can check out the award winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so easy to use for one thing. All you do is pick two to five players and over under on their projections. And it went up to 10 times any entry, just you against the projected numbers, makes it very easy. And you only need a minute or less to actually set your entry. It's just that easy and quick. Prize Picks is also safe and offers fast withdrawals. And they have props on almost anything you can think of. And that includes points and rebounds, assists, even steals. They have mixed sports entries as well. If you like soccer or baseball or MMA, etc., you can pair stuff together, use those skills at the same time. And for a limited time, Prize Picks is a exclusive offer for all of our users. It's an absolute no-brainer of an offer. 
And really, with that, you get $50 for free if a player in your first prospect's entry scores even a single point, but you have to use the promo code NBA to get the offer. That's right, exclusively offered to Locked On fans. If you sign up today, use the promo code NBA. $50 for free if a player in your first entry scores even a single point. Check it all out today at PrizePix. All right, Glenn, uh, it sort of goes with the offense hand-in-hand, clearly, because Trey's the head of the snake, as uh, Nate always says. But, you know, through four games, his numbers are pretty rough. You know, 16 points a game, 35% shooting, uh, 21% from three. He has exactly as many assists as turnovers, which is really not what you want for a guy who averages almost two and a half more assists per turnovers. Um, Obviously, top you know, two or three in the league in assists per game, number one in total assists, et cetera. And the crazy one for me is uh, the on-off splits with the fact that, you know, the Hawks have been sub-100 offensive rating with Trey on the floor and a 115 with him off the floor. That just never happens, ever. I mean, even when the Hawks have been better this year as they have been this this season with Trey off the floor at times, it's, it's because the defense gets better. Uh, and the offense is always, we're almost without fail, worse with he when he leaves the floor. In this series, it's only four games, but they've not been able to score with him on the floor. And it's kind of a you know, part of that's him struggling. Part of that's the system that we talked about before. But like, what do you make of this? Because it's kind of spawned this separate conversation about whether he needs a number two guy, and we'll save some of that for later on, I'm sure, in the offseason. But I mean, there's lots of talking points, but also part of the deal is that he's got to be better. Like individually, he, I think he's not been as good as he needs to be. I think that's not breaking news, but what's that calculus like? Is it, is it just him struggling? Is it schematic stuff? Like where do you kind of see this falling? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've talked about Miami's defense, so we'll kind of set that aside for a second. And your yeah. question is probably more the trade side. So we'll I'll address that. Um, but for me, I think missing Capella has been absolutely massive. Agreed. I mean, I think he, he is um, the, I know people think like, oh, he's a terrible finisher. Um, <laughs> he's but, not that. I, I mean, he has some he, bad ones sometimes, but he's really not that. He's, he's not that. But but um, he puts so much pressure on the rim in the yeah. lob game. He, he's he's rough sometimes when he catches the ball and has to kind of regather and go back up. Yeah. That's usually when when his problems kind of show up there. But he really just puts so much pressure on the rim. And then in addition to that, you know, JC hasn't been finishing at all. Now part of that is Miami is just prioritizing bringing those defenders down and tagging really well for the most part, but even the, the oh, it feels like it's been two or three times JC has gotten the lob in that area. I don't think he's finished one. Yeah. He's um, had two or know. three that were like very obviously plays. He always finishes and always right. gets, and they just, they're not there. It's, a, it's sort of a good example. It doesn't tell the whole story, but those two guys not being themselves, it kind of, I mean, it takes away one of your main options. This is a pick and roll offense. And obviously it's harder to run pick and roll against this defense anyway. And then you throw in the fact that your two rim threats are just kind of not themselves. Right. And then uh, on top of that, all year long, typically um, Trey would have Capella or JC, and there were some minutes that it's a Kongu and, and Gallo, but Gallo is one of the single best floor spacers at the four in the whole league, right? And, yep. and gives you that space, you know, in a different form and such. But it's had to be JC and Gallo to start up until you know Clint came back in Game Four. But I just think maybe Hawks fans that that at least raise questions to me, and I talk with sometimes. Maybe don't realize how critical it is for um, Trey to have ideally not only one, but multiple elite rim threats. I mean, Capella has just a, a massive catch radius. And on top of that, he's so fast from the point of the screen to the rim. You know, he's really quick in a straight line in that way. And JC is uh, as elite, you know, kind of straight line speed as well. And I know when Hawks fans start, especially when they're frustrated and there was a lot of frustration after game four, they start trying to kind of fast forward into what might the right, what might the roster look like last year? And I just say, you know, be careful what you ask for, because if you 
are going to kind of shift things up around Trey and not have those guys who um, are excellent in the, you know, in the pick and roll or, or put a ton of pressure on the rim are quick from the point of the screen. I mean, Clint can set a screen at the logo and get to the rim in like in, in absolutely no time, which creates a real challenge for defenses to, defenses to close that. And even yesterday, as much as Miami was prioritizing that, I still feel like a part of the struggle yesterday was just Trey and Clint not having a rhythm from the time that Clint missed, you know, you know, and such. So, you know, I, when I, when I will partake in kind of fast forwarding and imagining what the, the next roster might look like, you know, I, I don't really want to get into that. Cause like, kind of like your comment there, like until we get into the postseason. We'll yeah. It's, it's, it's part people, of the fun. I mean, I, I yeah. get why people do it. It's uh, like, we do it offline. Like it's, it happens. I'm not, I'm not bothered by it, but right. this is in the middle of the season. I'm not going to spend 20 minutes talking about Donovan Mitchell. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, right. So it is, it is what it is, but yeah, I I'm kind of with you. Like, you know, it's very, it's very easy to say, look, offense has been this team strength this year and they've been bad on offense in this series. And both those things are true. Um, there is context. You talked about it. You know, the fact that neither of their primary role guys have been themselves. We can sort of debate what percentage John Collins is. It's not 100%. We can, we can sort of debate Capella's explosiveness. It's not 100%, obviously, in that one small sample size we saw in game four. And then Okongwu was awesome in down the stretch in game three on both ends of the floor, but he's still a young guy and he's not the same kind of threat in that way right now that, that, that those other guys are, especially in this setting. So when that club is maybe not out of the bag, but not quite what it normally is, and then you throw in the fact that this was always kind of one of the concerns against this offense is that if you get a team that you're finally facing now that can switch and be extremely well coached, it is kind of one of the antidotes to what the Hawks do. Um, it doesn't always work that way. We saw at the end of game three, they were able to score at will for a while and Trey got off and it was uh, not foolproof, but this is the first time in this run that they've faced a defense like this. Obviously, Milwaukee is really good, too. Uh, Philadelphia had strengths last year, but they were playing more drop. It, was, it wasn't quite the same thing. It's kind of like when Deadman plays in the series, and uh, he's not played that much at times. So right. it's interesting to me, like, there's so many factors in play, like Trey not being himself. Um, Bogey was kind of – he's been kind of a non-factor in two of the four games, and they just can't afford that. He's so important to what they do right now, particularly without the other guys down the stretch. And then – Everybody else, they're just kind of role players. I mean, when, when the shots go in, the shots go in for guys like Hunter and even Herter, um, the bench guys as well. You know, DeLon has obviously been great in the series, but he's not a huge offensive threat all the time. So they uh, – and Gallo's, you know, it's tough to play him sometimes because of his defense and et cetera. So it's perfect storm in a lot of ways. Like, I, I know there's like sort of this rush to appropriate blame for what's going on, but it's so many different things from – yeah, I think that the Hawks have the worst co- have the worst coach in the series. That's not like breaking news. Spolster's awesome. Uh, their superstar has not been himself. They don't have the role the role threats. It's just like one, two, three, four, five, and it's all these things kind of coming into the middle. And yeah, we could spend twenty minutes talking about what's the biggest factor, but it's kind of everything. And we kind of also knew that if Trey wasn't just completely transcendent in the series, they were in trouble. And quite obviously, he has not been that so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know. Hawks fans sometimes don't want to, us to sound like we're making excuses, but the Hawks don't have their team. I mean, it's just that no, they, they, I mean, they don't they don't have their rotation. And, and it's funny because before the series, I was struggling with how I wanted to kind of predict the series. And I eventually, I, I, I guessed Heat and Seven, and I thought the Hawks would push them. Um, it was hard to – we didn't really know what Capella's availability was. I didn't think no. we knew what, what – Keller, Or Collins. If, if, or yeah. Collins, if he would make some progress each game and get closer. You know, so it was a guess. But um, 
I don't think it's going seven. It just doesn't look it doesn't look like the Hawks are going to be able to kind of win two straight against them. I, I'd love to be wrong about that. But the thing that has surprised me is that as good as Miami is on defense, they have a number of, and you kind of touched, started to touch on this a few minutes ago, a number of defenders that I thought they'd be able to take advantage of. They're, they're starting Struz. Hero comes off the bench, yep. right? Robinson. And you got Duncan Robinson, who basically didn't play in game two because of defensive. I was going to say, I think know. that Spo knows he can't play him very much because right. of defense. I mean, Hero, they have to play. Like, I think he's not a good defender and he's even smaller, but they just, he's at a, he's at a, a sort of a line of the pecking order where he's going to, he's going to be out there. But, right. and yeah, they do have some, I mean, that's the, one of the things about this team is like, they have some apparent weaknesses. It's just that they haven't been able to kind of get them uh, ex- exploited too, too much. Yeah. And in and, and this series, I think what's happened is, you know, I, I imagine like, well, they're going to be able to get Trey on Struis. Like in the third and fourth game of the regular season, Trey like torched Struis, right? Yep. But what's happened in this series as so is tight in the rotation and they've gotten more, um, uh, kind of detailed in their game planning is basically Bam and TJ are covering up everything. Any other matchup, even if he draws Struce out, like TJ is lurking and Bam is lurking and they're taking his space away. And and Spo is basically, apart from twice that Bam has gotten into foul trouble, has for the most part kept Bam and TJ both on when Trey's been on and won't really put Deadman on until Trey comes off. And then even with the which is foul smart. issue, which is really <laughs> smart. And then in game four... Do. In game four, he rolled with P.J. at center when Bam left in the third quarter with foul trouble as opposed to getting Deadman on for the – and it, and it worked out great. So, yep. you know, I've been I've been, put, I've been pushing on Twitter all along like, man, I wish basically Nate would play Trey all of the Deadman minutes. And then Spo ended up not playing Deadman at all in the second half, you know, in game yeah. four. So Bam and P.J. are – all of the matchups I thought the Hawks would be able to use to be more competitive in this series – even not being sure what they get from Capella and, and JC, Bam and TJ are completely covering all of that up. And I didn't expect that. And that's where I feel like uh, my prediction was a little bit too bullish on what the Hawks would be able to do with those matchups. Not to credit to Spo, his team, and those players. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I we can pick on – I said something during the game. I think Bam Bam's offense has been like kind of weirdly – non-factory in this series but his defense is just always what it is he's a monster and pj yeah. having the having that club in your bag where you can go to pj pj at center and it's just huge i mean he's been awesome in the series and uh, not to go down that rabbit hole too much but he's been a huge factor for miami right. um all right i have a couple more things i want to get to but well, before we do that and this will be our final break on the podcast they work from our sponsors on the show Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and baseball is in full swing now. And of course, the playoffs are now here in full force in the NBA with the jam-packed slate of games almost every single night for the next couple of months. And with that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and information this year. They have the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more. And BetOnline is the best spot for all the latest developments in sports, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Not just basketball or baseball either. BetOnline has all that you want in the sports wagering space for information and every need you could possibly have, including live betting and favorite casino games that they also offer. And they have other sports as well. BetOnline has odds on golf, esports, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, MMA, boxing, hockey, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and much more. And the futures market's always open, looking ahead to football season. Conference titles, national titles, the NFL, conference division winners, all that fun stuff. And, of course, the big game looms always in the NFL world. So head to betonline.net right now on your computer computer or mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action across the sports world today. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
Glenn, uh, we talked about the offense a ton. Uh, I will uh, allow you if you'd like to add anything else that you want to on the offense. But I do want to get to the defense quickly. Um, something because sure. you you and I are defensive nerds. Um, yeah. we, we like we like defense. And on the surface, the Hawks' defense has not been great in the series. They have been giving up like 118 points per home possessions, which is a bad number under any circumstances. I've kind of been saying I think the Hawks have been pretty decent by at least by their standards defensively for a lot of the series. There have been some breakdowns for sure. Um, last night was kind of everything except for the shooting stuff, which I kind of ranted on a lot on the show. But like on a night where Miami didn't shoot well to score as well as they did, it was that they basically won every other category. Offense rebounding, turnovers, free throws, all this stuff. So like, what do you make of the defense? Because I know you and I are among the 1% of people that are like really diving in on the Hawks defense in this series. And a lot of the focus is obviously been on the offense for good reason, but uh, I've been intrigued by what they've kind of uh, done defensively. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they've been pretty sound um, from the beginning of a possession. They've, um, for the most part, kind of kind of helped each other with the cutters. And um, I feel like after, after game one, they started uh, being a little less aggressive up as high as the screen, whether that's a ball screen or, or otherwise. And that helped them a lot. They trusted their guys like DeLon, who's excellent working over screens, and Herter, who's been better as the series has gone along, kind of working over screens. And so I thought the adjustments coming out of game one were good. And even in game one, I thought they were pretty sound in a lot of areas. It's it's really in game four it was about not turning Miami over. I don't think they had a single turnover in the first half. So they're not. Yeah, it was a, uh, the first time in franchise history, by the way, they didn't have a turnover in an entire half, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and that sometimes that can be a statistical anom- anomaly. But sure. I think in this case, it, it emphasized uh, the Hawks are basically not generating any, any ball pressure and and the way that Miami is playing a little bit conservatively and kind of prioritizing the paint since game one, the Hawks have been doing the same thing, keeping the big dropped, not getting them out there unless someone comes totally free off of the screen and things like that. And, and a part of that is kind of accepting you're not going to generate as much ball pressure. Um, uh, and the other part, which I, I know, um, you know you've talked about is the rebounding it has been just a major yeah. issue, you know, and in game three, even with the win, I think 13 of Miami's 25 points in the fourth quarter were second chance points. Yesterday they, they struggled to rebound the ball for stretches. And, and, you know, part of that is probably John's not the rebounder. You know, he normally is. And DeAndre is rough of a rebounding season he had. <laughs> it feels like it's gotten worse in this series somehow. I mean, he you went know? he went six quarters without without getting a rebound in the series. Yeah. And That's then I, hard. I, and then he had the, re, the first rebound he got yesterday. I joked that it was the one that bounced right at him. And right I joked that. <laughs> the rebound basically attacked him and almost murdered him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, sure, and yeah. I, 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 don't, I mean, I hate to pick – when it comes to a team not rebounding, I hate to pick on guys, but you need more from your your, your small forward, when especially when he's that big. It's got to be um, collective. I mean, that's the thing. Like, they, right. they've, been, they've been so reliant on Capella for so long, and he's a freak. I mean, Capella is – I think he's the best rebounder in the league. He's certainly on the, on the list. He's up there, and he covers up for a lot of sins, but – um, you know, defensively, they have lots of questions on personnel wise, but one of them is certainly that like other than Collins and Capella, they don't have anybody anywhere that's a good rebounder. I mean, maybe maybe you could say DeLon as a guard is a good rebounder because he is as a guard, but he's still a guard. And right. you're, when you're forwards, I mean, Gallo is huge. And there are times when Gallo is OK as a rebounder. But between when you're playing 40, you know, not not, not necessarily in, the, in this game, but there have been times in this playoff postseason run, they played 48 minutes of either Hunter or Gallo at, at the four. That's really bad at the four. And then a Kongwu is uh, awesome in a lot of things, but not rebounding. So, yeah, right. I mean, that's that's part of the story. And uh, just to uh, sort of add to that, I'll go back to you. Miami has a 30% or so offensive, offensive rebound rate in the series, which isn't like horrific, 
but it's bad. I mean, that's that's above where they would normally be. And uh, I think the numbers are even worse than that in certain lineups. So uh, it's been a big problem. And it, it, it is especially bad when you think about the fact that it's not like Miami's playing massive lineups. P.J. Tucker's like, what, 6'5", right? Oh, and, they're playing small they, most of the time. Right. That's crazy. I mean, and, that's and, they, and they put a lot of shooting on the floor. And it's not like they have, like, really, you know, freak athletic wings. You were talking about Hero and, you know, Robinson playing the three, you know, sometimes. And you'll see, you know, Martin out there, you know. And so it's not like you're watching, like, you know, when Toronto, like, has – Pascal and OG at the three and the four, and they just kill you because they're, they're both like massive, strong guys. Who are and that's not what the Heat are doing. So that 30% mark is pretty bad for the kind of line that Miami puts, puts on the court. So that's been a, an issue. Um, and, you know, it's just hard to pinpoint exactly what that is. But I, I think a lot of it for the series has been not enough at Capello, JT not being 100%. That, that's who they relied on all season long for their kind of better rebounding lineups and things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, once again, again, I, I'm just providing observations, not trying to make it an excuse. They, you know, Kevin and I talked a little bit about that and said, they have to have four rebounders down there on every shot that Miami puts up. They have to have four yeah. rebounders down there. And the key to that is to not have multiple guys having to like X out two guys closing out on the perimeter, which leaves you at three and to stay intact. And it just felt like it, I didn't feel like I saw four guys consistently in game four get, getting down there um, no. for, for whatever reason. So No, I'm with, I'm with you 100%. I mean, and it's, uh, you know, some of that's personnel-based. It's kind of like the thing with the turnover creation is that the Hawks have been bad at turnover creation for a long time. That's not, that's not anything new. Um, them not turning the ball over defensively is just a, a trait of this team. They, if you look at the roster, it's very obvious why. They don't have a lot of – you know, playmakers, quote unquote, defensively. Um, it's uh, even last year when they got hot defensively and they were like a top 12 team for a long time. It was basically Capella is out of his mind and they're just walling off the rim and they're filling and they're, and they're doing it that way. This is never going to be a team as constructed. that's going to make a ton of make, make a ton of steals and that kind of stuff. Like DeLon Rice, really the only guy you would describe as being above average as a like defensive playmaker that's playing for them right now. I mean, it's that's just kind of it's kind of the deal. And but Miami, that's something I said a lot in the series. But the fact that the Hawks had more than double the turnovers of Miami in game four. Like the Hawks are number one in the league in ball security. Like they could not right. afford to not take care of the ball in the series. And in game three, when they won, they took care of the ball. It's, it wasn't, it's not, it's not one-to-one, but they have to take care of the ball in the series. And because, and part of that is implied that they don't turn the ball over defensively. So like if you're losing possessions by not creating turnovers defensively and not rebounding defensively, if Miami just doesn't shoot 30%, you're in trouble. And they didn't even shoot well. Again, they didn't shoot well in game four. If Miami shoots well in game four, you lose by 40. I mean, that, that's that's as bad right. as that was. I mean, they, they didn't have a good shooting game. So um, the fundamentals were just kind of wrong along the way there. And, like, I don't know how you fix it. I mean, part of the last, this end of this podcast, I'm going to ask you, like, what do you do differently on both ends of the floor if you have anything that you've observed in advance of game five? Because, yeah, we, we can acknowledge. I mean, as much as I said yesterday, the, the series is not over because I'm someone that just never says it's over, you know, Obviously, some of the betting market stuff, and this is a 5% max 10% kind of endeavor where you got to win three games. So we are not silly. We're not being huge homers about this. We know the situation. But addressing it practically, like what can they do differently on offense and defense? I'm sure you have stuff banging around in your head, but what can Nate install? Like, obviously, we're not going to be outsmarting Nate McMillan as much as we make observations on our own. We know he knows more than we do. But like, what do they do now, I guess, is the, uh, the, the broad way to ask that question. 
Yeah, yeah. I think what I'm looking for is no different than what I was looking for going into game four. And, you know, I've talked a bit about how um, in game three, one of the things the Hawks said I thought was really smart was to run a shooter to a corner and have basically Trey drive kind of right at that corner and put the pressure on the defender that is on that shooter in the corner to either help into the driving lane or stay on a, you know, on the shooter and make them kind of like a quarterback tries to make a safety make a decision sort of thing <laughs> um and they basically i don't think they did that one time in game four and when i went back and rewatched i was like why did we not see any of that and I, and i i i thought i had a bit of an idea um but basically when the hawks did that best in game three and especially in the second half was when they're able to push the ball and that requires that you Rebound again, rebound well, <laughs> or turn them over, right? One of the two, yep. And they didn't get have any of that working for them. So, and in addition to that, so then I went back and looked at okay, in the half court, why was there none of that? And um, with Lowry, they the Heat haven't put Lowry onto Trey a, a whole lot in this series, but with Lowry yeah. out, they played Vincent on Trey a ton and had basically PJ and Butler on the corners. And those two guys are not going to play that wrong. They're going to gap it. They're going to no, zone it. They're going to time it, you know. And so that's why when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, oh, this is why the Hawks didn't really kind of go to this. I mean, part of it is that Bogey is their best shooter in that scenario, and he had nothing working in game four. So Yeah, I mean, like, Nate, Nate mentioned, just, just why I say it out loud, Nate said today yeah. at practice that he thought Bogey had heavy legs is the way that he put it. And that's why he didn't play him more. I mean, objectively, I mentioned it like he did not look good. I, I thought it might be an injury. Maybe it is one that they're, they're not just saying, but like Bogey, just the way that we would describe it is that he had nothing. And that kind of, you know, it, it reminds you of how thin the margin is. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if he's not, and he's also the only guy who's super aggressive, other than, other than Trey, he hunts his shot in a way that Herder and Hunter, I mean, Hunter, Hunter hunts mid rangers sometimes. But um, right. uh, like Herder is a good shooter, obviously, but he's not um hunting the way that bogey is delon same thing like they, they don't really do that so like if um if there's not that guy to be the be the outlet for it it's, there's also nothing there too yeah and and so there's the you know miami keeping basically butler and pj in the corners and then not having bogey rolling and and trey knows when the guy's kind of got it going or not and he'll jump oh, yeah. on the fly and things like that so in terms of what i'm looking for in game five i, I don't know that there's like a an adjustment to make. i think <laughs> yeah. it's I think it's put pressure on the rim as best you can with what you have. Open up those corners like they did in the first quarter, you know, in game four. You know, Collins, like we said earlier, Collins got one, Hunter got a couple, and Gallo got one too. And try try to make that work. You've got to hope Bogey's feeling better. You got to hope Trey feels a little better about kind of what he has going on. And and then if you can find a way to rebound better, if you can find a way to generate a little bit more ball pressure and create that opportunity to push, like like you know, when Trey hit that game winner in game three, I'm convinced that the Hawks had called timeout or if it had been a rebound that didn't let them get kind of up the floor. They were already on the way, yep. Then they, they probably don't score on that possession and, and now the series is over by this point, right? And so they, they've got to do the things that give them those opportunities. Ball pressure, rebounding, recognizing when you catch a long rebound, go push it, you know, and those sorts of things. And they And they look so sluggish yesterday i think partly because they didn't look like they were feeling great physically and we've talked about that but also that they, they weren't creating any place for themselves to kind of give themselves some energy and kind of yeah. kind of get themselves moving and and i thought that that just created like it was just too much of an uphill climb for that so i you know i'm still looking for to pressure on the rim 
you know, generate shots in the corner when they come way in and aggressively tag the guys you're rolling to the rim, but rebound, push, create turnovers as you can, push via ball pressure. I mean, I want to, frankly, I want to see DeLon play like, you know, I don't know, like 38 minutes because he's (laughs) digging and getting the passing leads and helping generate the things, the kind of offense that you need. So, you know, do you, I mean, it's kind of funny because it's neat, but like, I think a lot of coaches would be like, I'm going to start the line and bring Herder off the bench this game. Yeah, if it wasn't Nate, I wouldn't be surprised. You know what I mean? Like, it would right. surprise me because it's Nate. And uh, this is not a pick on Nate Fest. Like, we're not going to do that. I think right. he gets uh, a little bit too much blame sometimes. I mm-hmm. also blame him some, for some stuff too. Like, I, I will tell you what I think. Um, but I think a lot of coaches, to your point, would have changed – a little bit more of what was going on, whether it was be played a lawn more or start bogey. One of those two, like, I think they would have done one of those things by now. Um, you know, Nate did go back to his traditional starting lineup for game four. It did not particularly work, but if you look at what happened, it wasn't that lineup that got beat. Like they were fine with that lineup. The starters were fine. Right. It was when they started subbing a little bit, obviously the plus minus stuff was uh, favoring um, certain guys in that, in that, in that game. But yeah, I, I do wonder like if there is any urgency because even granted they were down 19, but like he still came out to start the fourth quarter with their normal bench lineup down 19 yeah. and playing for your season. And it's like, that's the criticism of Nate, which I think is sometimes warranted is that he is stubborn and he does what he does. And we'll see if he changes that as far as like other observations, like I'm not the tactician that you are. I think we did see Trey, have a couple of successful moments working off the ball. But of course that's like the chicken or the egg thing. Like does Trey ever have that in him to do it more regularly? Cause you know, it's not a secret, but when Trey has catch and shoot opportunities, he shoots an incredible percentage and those are really highly effective plays. It's just getting those opportunities, getting him off the ball. And it's also easier to have him off the ball if bogey has it. Cause he's the one guy I think Trey definitely trusts. And I I don't say trust in a negative way about anybody else, but and, and it sort of implicitly, Trey believes he's the guy that should have the ball in his hands, and he's usually right because he's awesome. But Bogey is the one guy that you've, ever, that you've kind of ever seen him defer to on the perimeter. Like, he'll do it with Bogey. He doesn't really do it with DeLon or DeAndre mm-hmm. or even Kevin, um, aside from Game 7 in Philadelphia when Herder just had, had it going. But just interesting stuff. I mean, it might just be as simple as what you said. Like, maybe you just kind of need Trey and Bogey to be better than they've been. Uh yeah. It's not yeah. it's not just that easy, but they have to yeah. one, one of them's gotta have it or you're done, basically. And that, that's not even breaking yeah. news. But if one if both of those guys play poorly, they just can't score. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you suggested Trey off ball because the other thing they did in game three that popped into my mind until you said that was they were putting Trey into what they call their stack set. And if you're watching and you'll see if you look on YouTube, stack one <laughs> yeah, stack means one. Trey's gonna go to the middle of the lane, get a screen from the center, and pop out to the re- right three-point break or the left three-point break and start a pick and roll from there and have a little bit of leverage and a little bit of a first step to work with there. He hit a three-pointer straight out of that in the second half of game three. And a couple of times he's gotten more um, freedom in the middle, like the the foul he drew on uh, PJ very late in the fourth quarter of game three came from that stack one attacking the slot pick and roll from the right to the right three-point break, I think it was. And we didn't really see, I don't remember really seeing that at all, you know, yesterday. And I don't know why, because the corner seam attack worked well in game three. We talked about rebounding turnovers being what really feeds that well. And the half court, though, getting trained to that stack one slot attack was really uh, effective in game three. Not sure why we didn't see that. Maybe because it was always Bam and PJ uh, on the floor, um, even more so in game four. But that is another thing I think they can do. We we saw the sideline out of bounds play that generated the one, uh, time where he set this back screen and then popped up for that 
three-point shot on the, on the left. So, you know, they've got to take advantage of every opportunity to kind of create those looks for him, I think, because uh, he's having to work really, really hard for anything he gets and anything they can do in those areas to kind of create a little bit more, um, you know, moderate effort kind of um, <laughs> opportunities, I think, will, will be worthwhile. And, again, it just we saw so little of that in game three. Um, I'm sorry, game four, heading into game five, you know, I, 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 that's all I can really think of from a game planning perspective is to go back to what's worked and then remember, these are the things we're good at. We can't really stray that far from that, putting pressure on the rim, diving in the pick and roll, opening up the corners, trusting Trey to make those passes. If they're going to win game five and give themselves a chance to come back home, it's probably going to be the things that they're good at doing more of it in, in some way. Uh, and that's really all I can, I can see is the path. Yeah. It's a good, uh, good summation of it all. And I'll just be the practical person that just says, look, treating this game, like it's a, like it's your season is the way to do it as well. In some ways, like playing Trey as much as he can possibly play in game five, playing bogey as much as he can possibly play in game five, like putting your best guys out there more. And it's not always as simple as that. I, I don't want to make it seem like it's that simple, but if there's a guy who just doesn't have, like if Gallo doesn't have it in the first half, maybe he doesn't play the second half. Like this is the kind of game where you can just, you have to kind of put your foot to the floor, especially on the road now. Uh, you know, this is your season. It's that simple. And um, you ride the lamps that you need to ride. And if you got to play Delon and bogey a ton and you can just do that and go small or whatever, but um, it will be a little bit, um, I think I'll be interested to see if there is that aggression level on rotations, if there is that kind of, um, it, sort of switch to flip that just says, all right, this is it. Like we can't hold anything back now. Like Trey's coming back in after two minutes in the fourth quarter and he plays, he plays 22 and a half minutes in the second half kind of thing. I don't know what's going to happen. And um, you know, obviously that doesn't help you if, he's, if he doesn't have it either. So it's, that's kind of the other thing is that in this series, as crazy as this is going to sound again, they've been better without Trey, which is just wild. That never happens, but it's, it's right. been the case for four games. So um, well, Glenn, uh, add anything else that you like to, if not, thank you for all the time that you've given me here on a Monday afternoon. You are uh uh, definitely accommodating me with this time, which I also appreciate as well. But uh, thank you for doing this and uh, feel free to plug anything that you like to plug, including that dreaded podcast that you, that you co-host <laughs> with Kevin Sharp. Yeah. So on Twitter, if, uh, if you want to find the kind of technical content at Wells underscore Glenn, uh, ATL on 29 uh, podcast, I do regularly with Kevin. We've been trying to do one after every game. It's been Here great. I'll say that. Like, I, I am a listener. That show has been great. I know we are technically rivals, Kevin and I in particular, but uh, I am enjoying <laughs> those conversations and uh, I never want to, there is room for both of us, I'll say. So yeah. that's uh, yeah. That's I, I'll just say, you know, I, I'm going to go into game, uh, this game, looking forward to it. Uh, I, I'm not a stressful, emotional watcher anyway, um, but, you know. I'm You're also an optimist, it. Glenn. You're also an optimist to heart. Well, I believe in just being happy and, and not letting like, you know, <laughs> well, I, I was, that was a positive statement by me. You are, I am yeah, not, an opt- I am not an optimist and you are. So I, pre- I appreciate the way you see yeah. the world usually. So yeah. either they win and we get to, they get to come back home and, and see what happens or they lose. And then we can only finally start to fast forward to the off season, which is fun in its own way. So, you know, something good's going to happen. And then I've been saying all along, if the Hawks lose, I want to see Philly and Miami play each other in the postseason, and so you know, it, you know, that's my console, my consolation prize. I think. <laughs> yeah. If the Hawks lose, is that we get to we get to watch that? So as you can tell, I'm in good spirits. I'm happy. You know, however this rolls, there'll be something good there for for, for all of us. I think, and uh, you know, and if if, if this doesn't go much further, then I'm excited to see what Travis and the rest do with the roster in the offseason, and we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. I know that is that is Andrew Kelly's Super Bowl. As soon as the season ends, it becomes a transaction season. 
uh, and we'll touch on all of that stuff in the draft, and I and we'll, we'll get there when we get there. But thank you, Glenn. I do appreciate all the time. Uh, game five will happen on Tuesday evening, and I think we'll both talk about it in certain forms. I'll be on this show. You'll probably be with Kevin uh, shortly after that after that game, win or lose. So uh, check that out. Follow Glenn if you're watching on YouTube. You can see Glenn's Twitter handle, but it's uh, at Willis underscore Glenn. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Roll and follow the show at Locked On Hawks. And we'll see you all after game five.